Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning, Maple Grove. A little bit better. All right. Hey, as we begin, I want to share some news with you today, some good news. And in fact, it's great news. Like, could you use some good news today? I sure could. It's from John chapter 11. Uh, we read that chapter yesterday, and, and our faith comes from hearing chapter. And in this chapter, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, he's dead. He's been dead four days, and the Jews believe that after the third day, the Spirit left never to return again. And Martha meets Jesus, and he says to Jesus, if, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she, she trusted in the power of God's presence. And then she's upset, and Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Then he says, do you believe this? Maple Grove, brothers and sisters, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Okay, that was, that was, okay. That's the answer. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that the one who believes in Jesus will live even though he dies? Do you believe that whoever lives believing in Jesus will never die? Do you believe that Jesus defeated death, sin, and the grave? Do you believe that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is even now preparing a place for you? Do you believe that the best is yet to come? And that your forever in heaven will be more glorious than you could ever imagine. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. Now today we're in week four of our study in the Gospel of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. Now the first two chapters of Matthew deal with the birth and early childhood of Jesus. In week one, we looked at Matthew's genealogy and we saw in the genealogy that Matthew drives home the point that Jesus is the king and he is the true son in line for the divinity throne. And as king, Jesus has the authority to speak, the power to rule, the desire to include, and the right to reward. In week two, when Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, woke up to who Jesus was, the king, the Christ, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, when Joseph woke up to who Jesus was, he did what the angel commanded. He obeyed. And Joseph taught us some pretty powerful things about obedience, that obedience can be embarrassing. It's often inconvenient. Doesn't always make sense. Usually comes with the price and will always be rewarded. And last week, the wise man who visited Jesus as a toddler in Bethlehem taught us five truths about worship. Worship begins with seeing, required seeking, is grounded and ignited by Scripture, is best expressed in our submission and demands sacrifice. Seeing, seeking, scripturing, submitting, sacrificing, that is worship. Question, did you do any worshiping this past week? Did you do any seeing, seeking, scripturing, submitting, and sacrificing? I tell you, this morning I, I went to walk my dogs and my phone was dead, so I didn't have it with me. It was charging up and the sky was absolutely incredible. And so they're walking around, and, and I'm looking at the sky, and I got my doors open, and I was listening to some music, and it was Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone by Chris Tomlin. And, and I can't sing, but I worship, right? 
So I guess I, that is worship. It's not a quality of my singing. Right, God? Please tell me that's right. And, and so I'm out there singing. I'm having, I'm worshiping. And, and even to the point where I, I, I kept looking at the sky that God created, and I'm worshiping, and it's, it's just amazing. I even walked backwards to the dumpster after I picked my dog poop so I could keep looking at the sky, right? It's like, you know, I'm going to back up because I don't want to stop looking at it. It was absolutely incredible. And I was worshiping it all day, listening to music. Worship is an amazing thing. And that's where we've been in this series. And, but don't worry, I'm not going to recap every week, right? Because when we're in week 62 of our study in Matthew 28, that would be kind of intense. Okay, let's do this. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, there is hope for your future. In these 11 verses, Matthew underscores three events in Jesus' life, three fulfilled prophecies, and two major events in the history of God's people. So let's read the text and then pray into our time of study. Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, beginning at verse 13, when they, we the wise men, had gone... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are, are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went in lived in a town called Nazareth, so was filled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come into your presence, recognizing that you're God and we are not, that you're finite, we are infinite, recognizing that you're the God who is before all things, over all things, and holds all things together. You're the maker of heaven and earth. There's no sea that you cannot part, no mountain you cannot move, no giant you cannot slay, no wall you cannot tear down. And God, we recognize that your word is living and active. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, you have a word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys, y'all ready? And here's the deal. Like any time you're reading the Bible, right, or hearing the Bible taught, sitting in the Bible school, that's whatever, you know, God has a word for you. I mean, do you believe that God has a specific word for you this morning? I guarantee that he does. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, get ready, for he's about to speak. Now, the three major points in your outline, out of Egypt, a voice is heard, and he will be called. Maple Grove, 
let the unpacking begin. Um, out of Egypt. Someone say, out of Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. You know, I, I think we have a tendency, all of us, to read passages like that and kind of not feel the full weight of it. I mean, it's so easy for me to read, and Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt and then wonder what time the championship games are on tonight. Hey, Steve, what are you reading? Oh, I'm just reading about Mary and Joseph fleeing for their life. Like, like how many of you have read this story and not felt any anxiety for them in your chest? Anyone else? Oh, yeah, they fled for their lives in the middle of the night. I mean, who hasn't fled for their lives in the middle of the night? I haven't fled for my life in the middle of the night. Never. Like, I have no idea what that feels like, to flee for my life. I mean, think about how terrifying that had to be for this fairly new mom and dad. I mean, imagine you got a text from God at 2 a.m. that said, get up, leave the country right now. Someone is coming to kill your child. Unsettling. Terrifying. Okay, but where do we go? Question, why did Mary and Joseph go to Egypt? Well, yeah, God told them to go. But why did God choose Egypt? A couple of reasons. One, because Egypt, which was outside the jurisdiction of Herod, was only about 75 miles away. Kind of like Lynchburg, right? You know, uh, uh, still a pretty far walk, right? And there's no expedient to book hotels on the way, but get up and go to Egypt. Another reason for going to Egypt is because at that time, around one million Jewish people lived in Egypt. So Joseph and Mary maybe had some family and friends already there, so they could probably find a job and a place to live rather easily. Sounds reasonable. But listen, there's something much deeper to this flight to Egypt than simply running away from Herod to a reasonable place. Okay, here's the deal. God is using this flight to Egypt to both paint a picture and show the parallels between Jesus and one of the most significant events in the history of God's people. And an event that they had been living year after year for 1,400 years during the Passover celebration. And what is that event? The exodus of God's people from Egypt during the days of Moses. Understand, God's miraculous deliverance of his people from Egyptian bondage was always intended to be a picture of the greater deliverance that was to come, not just for Israel, but all mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. Why flee to Egypt? To paint a picture to show the connection to God's deliverance in Egypt. There are many intentional parallels between Jesus, Moses, and the Exodus. Both Moses and Jesus, as infants, experienced an attempt on their lives by a ruler bent on preserving his own kingdom. Pharaoh in the case of Moses and Herod the Great in the case of Jesus. Like Moses fleeing from Pharaoh, Jesus was forced to flee into Egypt for safety from the wrath of Herod and emerge from there to deliver his people. Moses returned from his time in the desert with his wife and sons to Egypt. Joseph returned with his wife and his son from Egypt to Israel. Moses would deliver the Israelites through, from bondage from Pharaoh through mighty miracles. Jesus would deliver people from 
a much greater bondage sin and a much greater oppressor Satan through signs and wonders, the greatest being his resurrection. Moses prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights as he received the law on Mount Sinai. Jesus prayed for 40 days and nights and then presented the new law, the new covenant, and the Sermon on the Mount near Galilee. You see, their fleeing to Egypt was about more than escaping Herod. It was about painting a picture of the greater exodus we have in Christ. So God in a dream tells Joseph, get up, take Jesus and Mary to Egypt. And Joseph got up right then in the middle of the night. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? I mean, they're quickly grabbing all their stuff that they can, packing up and heading out the door. And then Matthew writes, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through his prophets, out of Egypt I will call my son. Through what prophet? That, that would be the prophet Hosea. Now Hosea was a prophet that God called to demonstrate his love in a dramatic way. Hosea was called to marry a prostitute. He did. And she left Hosea and went back to her old ways of life. And, and Hosea was told, go back and find your wife, bring her back and love her once again, and he did. And it was a picture of what God had done countless times again and again for his people. Also for you and I, right? Many times we go back to our own ways, right? And God takes us back. He's quoting Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Question, why did God call his people out of Egypt? Because as his people, they were meant to fulfill their destiny, not in Egypt, but in the promised land. Amen? As his people, they weren't meant to fulfill their destiny in Egypt. They were meant to fulfill their destiny in the promised land. By the way, if you're in your own version of Egypt right now, that is not God's destination for you. Get it? Good. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. Now, before we move on to a, a, a voice is heard, I, I want to read a few verses from Hosea chapter 11 because it, it just paints this powerful picture of how God relates and feels about his people. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. This is kind of sad. But the more I called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bales and they burnt incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Any parents ever do that with your children? Taking them by my arms, they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. What a picture of God. A loving father caring for his children, holding them, feeding them, healing them, lifting them, and teaching his child, his children, to walk. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. A voice is heard. Next, Matthew writes, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the, the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Question, can you imagine a leader so evil that he would order the murder of innocent baby boys? Can you imagine a nation and leader so wrong and so blinded 
that they sanction, endorse, and even celebrated the taking of 63 million babies in the womb since 1973. God have mercy on our nation. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come before you. Have mercy on our nation. And God, be with those women even now making a decision over life or death. Be with that friend of a sister I know named Kathy Combs who has a friend she's trying to convince not to kill her baby. I pray that that mom chooses life. I pray for organizations like Thrive who are working to come alongside women in difficult times and pregnancies to walk with them, Lord. I pray that you will support those organizations, Lord, and that you will encourage them. Lord, help us to know what we can do to help. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have these baby bottles, and there's a few more we can pick up. I actually told... uh, Morgan at Thrive that I'm not going to turn them back on time because I know that we want to fill up every bottle, right? You know, if you haven't brought yours back, bring it back. And, and there's not, not that many left, maybe 10, 11 left, but please pick up a bottle, put something in, and then you'll know that when a mom chooses life, when they come alongside, see, they don't just, hey, have your baby. No, they, they will walk with these women. They will help these women. They will mentor these women. They'll make sure they have diapers and food and playpens and, and strollers. You know, they will, not, they will help them. And when you fill up that bottle, you're helping somebody choose life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, most scholars, based on the population of Bethlehem, estimated that 20 baby boys were murdered by this evil leader. And again, we can read stuff like that in the Bible, and we're like, oh, 20 baby boys were murdered? Hey, I wonder if there's going to be a line at the restaurant today. But imagine. Imagine being asleep in your bed, and suddenly, several well-armed soldiers break through the door, they go to the room where your baby boy is lying, they grab him from the crib, they take their sword, and they slice his throat. Horrifying. Like it would break me. And then Matthew writes about this slaughter in Bethlehem. And as he writes, he recalls an event that happened to God's people 600 years earlier. He writes, then, that would be after Herod murdered these babies, ripping the hearts out of those families. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah, this would be Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15 was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Then he says, Rachel, and who is Rachel? Rachel is one of Jacob's four wives and his favorite wife, the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Like, how do you comfort a mother who just watched her baby boy murdered before her very eyes? Now, the context for Jeremiah 31, 15 is about the time when God's people were taken away into exile. By the way, the exile, like the exodus, is a huge, massive event in the history of God's people. In fact, Matthew uses the exile as one of the pivot points in his genealogy. Matthew 1, verse 17, which we looked at in week one, 
There were 14 generations all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Understand, like the Exodus, God's people would never forget the exile. It was devastating. And after the exile, no king would sit on the throne of David until the time of Jesus, 600 years later. I mean, it seemed to them like the end of everything. Like everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. Not only was there no light at the end of the tunnel, there wasn't even a tunnel anymore. Question, have you ever, you ever been there? And so Babylon invades and laid siege to Jerusalem, burning and destroying much of the city, murdering and killing thousands of people. And then after their conquest, they took this defeated people to Ramah, just north of Jerusalem. And at Ramah, the people were separated from the families, put into caravans, and scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. This really happened. The real people, and it was a scene of unimaginable anguish, horror, heartbreak, and sorrow. I mean, imagine after seeing everything you love destroyed, being taken to a place against your will, being separated from your family and friends, with no hope of ever seeing them again. Like, can you even begin to imagine the weeping and crying that took place in Ramah as families were torn apart forever? I said, this is a kind of scene that Matthew refers to when he It describes the weeping and crying over children who had been killed in Bethlehem. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. But understand, there's much more to Jeremiah chapter 31 than God's people weeping and mourning as they're taking away into exile. I mean, check out the very next verse, verse 16. And listen, those who first read Matthew's gospel would have known the full context of Jeremiah 31. Remember, context is what? It's king, right? It's king, and understand the Bible. And and most people believe, and and I agree, that that Matthew wrote his gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. Mark wrote it with a Roman audience in mind. I mean, Matthew's still in his genealogy, and Mark's already had Jesus in his ministry, right? You know, uh, Luke was written with the Greeks in mind. It's very polished Greek. And John was kind of a more universal appeal. And so the people who heard Matthew for the first time, hey, they know more than just Rama weeping. They know the whole story. And so in verse 15, you have crying and weeping because their children are more. And that very next verse, and I remember where I was when I really heard that verse for the very first time. Verse 16. I know exactly where I was. I was on a rooftop at American Biologic in Tijuana, Mexico. My wife Judy and I had flown from Florida to San Diego right after Thanksgiving because the cancer treatments were not working. We said, let's try something alternative. So we we stayed just over the border in San Ysidro, and six days a week for a month, we crossed the border into Tijuana. And I was on that rooftop. And, and when we got there, at the time we didn't know the cause of it, but she had shingles. We didn't know it. And we're in that hotel room, and she couldn't lay down without intense pain and crying. And I remember being in that, that little efficiency kitchen on the floor, praying to God, and say, God, why did you bring us to Egypt just to die? 
We left her family, we left her doctor, and here we're in Mexico. She can't even lay down. She's in so much pain. Make her pain go away at 1 a.m. I don't know why I picked 1 a.m., but I did. The next morning, I said, did you finally get to sleep? She goes, yeah. I go, she goes, well, about 1 a.m. But I was on that rooftop, and, and I read these words. This is what the Lord says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. I love it. Jesus is telling the people that even in the midst of of the pain and hurt of the exile that God has not and God will not ever forget them. Even in the midst of their pain and exile, God is letting them know, I will not forget you. I never will forget you. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Your work will be rewarded. There is hope for your future. And I can tell you, when I read that verse, that was 1995, so that's a lot of years ago, right? 26 years ago. I realized there was hope for my future. And that's there in that very same chapter. Very same chapter. God lets them know, hey, the time is coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with you. A new way to relate. Same chapter. The days are coming to close the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. With the people of Judah. It, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Right? See, you're God's people in the Jewish nation simply by being a Jewish person, right? Maybe they knew God, maybe they didn't. But to ask a Christian, do you know the Lord? That'd be kind of dumb, right? Because that's why we came to the Lord, because we know the Lord. They all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By the way, that's quoted by the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 8. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping. Understand, Maple Grove, when Matthew quotes from Jeremiah, it is as if he's saying in the middle of the bitter tragedy and sorrow of Bethlehem, yes, the pain is real, the sorrow is deep, but there's hope for your future. And that hope is here, that hope is real, because Jesus Christ has come. Amen? Notice the contrast. On one hand, there is this terrible, horrible news, children being murdered, and mothers mourning and weeping, refuse to be comforted. But on the other hand, there's hope in the midst of hurt. There's life in the midst of death. And what is that hope? Where is this life? Matthew tells us. A new king is born, a king who will conquer death, defeat the grave, heal our hurts, usher a new covenant, and reconcile us to God once and for all time, remembering our sins no more. Amen? Amen? Amen. Conquer death. Can you do that? Defeat the grave. Heal our hurts. And usher in a new covenant, reconciling us to God once and for all, remembering our sins no more. Out of Egypt, a voice is heard. He will be called. If her died, they go home and Google her died. It's not appropriate to share. <laughs> it's pretty gross. All right? 
Hugo Herod died, the great died. After Herod died, about 69 years old, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, go, get up, take the child and this mother, go to the land of Israel, and for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Yeah. I wish I would respond to what God called me to do the way Joseph did. God said, and he did. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, if an angel came to me and told me to do something, I certainly would do it. Really? You think so? I mean, if you and I are not getting up and doing what God tells us to do in his word, love one another, forgive one another, pray for your enemies, share your faith, et cetera, et cetera, what makes us believe that if an angel showed up in our bedroom tonight that would actually do what he says, it would be any different. May we be more like Joseph. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So Archelaus was one of Herod's sons. He took over ruling Judea when his dad died. However, in Herod's will, Archelaus was given the regions of Galilee and Perea the rule. But on his deathbed, in his arranged state and probably under the providence of God, he changed his will, giving Archelaus the rule over Judah instead. And listen, Archelaus was as vicious as his dad was. In fact, right after he took office, he slaughtered 3,000 people who had contested his leadership. No wonder Joseph was afraid to go there. Had been warned in a dream. I think he liked this dream, Joseph. <laughs> He withdrew to the district of Galilee, away from Archelaus' jurisdiction, and he went to live in a town called Nazareth. Matthew says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. He'll be called a Nazarene by who? By, by everyone. Now, if you have trouble tracking down the exact Old Testament reference to this prophecy, it's because Matthew is not quoting any particular prophet. In fact, none of the prophets say that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. In fact, they don't even mention Nazareth at all as a place. So why does Matthew say, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene? What's going on? Here's what I think is going on. See, we learn throughout the rest of Scripture and other, that Nazareth was not a very well-respected place. Like it was on the bottom rung of the social economic ladder. Remember in John's gospel when Philip goes into Nathaniel to tell him about Jesus? And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? It's one of those places. It was the other side of the track. When I lived in Florida, there was this place called Bithlo. <laughs> you know, and Bithlo is a place, you know, oh, Bithlo, right? That's where the people live in the rundown trailers and have 25 dogs and cars on the blocks and poor education. Oh, Bithlo, right? Can anything good come out of Bithlo, right? Can anything good come out? Come out of Nazareth. Bottom line, Nazarenes were scorned, derided, dismissed, disdained, disliked, looked down upon, and generally despised. And throughout the prophets, the idea of the Messiah being scorned and despised is all over the place. Like in Psalm 22, this is Jesus. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone despised by the people, 
All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my, for my clothing. And then there's Isaiah in Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, like, the, like you know, when you're at the stoplight and there's a homeless guy, right? And you're like, okay, come on, turn green, turn green. Don't look, don't look, don't look, right? That's what, oh, they hide their faces from him. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. I think this is what Matthew's getting at when he writes that, what we call a Nazarene. Because the king who was to come is going to be rejected by the world he came to save. He'll be called a Nazarene. He'll be scorned and despised. But listen, listen. In the end, this is actually good news. Like it turns out for our good and God's glory. That same Psalm, Psalm 22, we read the poor eat and the poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families and nations will go down before him for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Isaiah 53, same chapter where he's despised and scorned. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offer for sin, he will have many descendants. I'm one of those descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. Amen. And listen, as my preacher, when I was stationed in the shipyard at Newport News, would say, listen, if that does not get you fired up, church, your wood is wet. Amen. That doesn't excite you. Three events in the early life of Jesus, three fulfilled prophecies, two huge events in the history of God's people. But God, through Matthew, wants us to see both the connection and parallels, the exodus and the exile. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. A voice is heard in Ra weeping. He will be called a Nazarene. One of the commentaries I'm I'm reading, and and this is my mind this week. This is how I do a sermon, right? I start writing stuff down and scribbling notes, right? I'm reading so many books, it's just so much fun. I'm just loving the heck out of it. I'm learning stuff I never knew before. He writes this, Matthew repeatedly points out how the seemingly disjointed reactionary movements of Joseph and his family 
were anything but a desperate attempt by God to stay one step ahead of the forces of evil. Rather, Matthew shows how events in the life of Jesus fulfilled Old Testament types, parallels, and prophecies beautifully. From Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth, Joseph heard God's leading, trusted his guidance, and obeyed. Amen. All right, let's wrap this up. I'm totally convinced that God has two things he wants to say to us today, January the 30th, 2022, in light of our study of Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 23. Number one, God wants to say to you and to me right now that because of Jesus, because of his victory over death, sin, and the grave, because of his greater exodus and deliverance, because of his forgiveness of sins that's returned us from our exile, from intimacy with God, because of his victory over sin, death, and the grave, because of his greater exodus and deliverance, because of his forgiveness of sins that removes us from exile, from intimacy with God, there is hope for your future. Yes, even in the midst of your pain and hurt, there is hope for your future. Even in your sorrow and weeping, there is hope for your future. Even in your sin and disobedience, there is hope for your future. Even when all seems dark and desperate, there is hope for your future. Even when your enemies surround you like a pack of dogs, there is hope for your future. Even when you're in exile to a place you would rather not be, there's hope for your future. Even when everything looks lost and hopeless, there's hope for your future. Brothers and sisters, because of Christ, Egypt and exile are not your final destination. It's not the end of your story. Because God is working plans that sometimes we cannot see So here's leading, trust his word and obey. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're facing. There's hope for your future. Amen? There is hope for your future. Egypt and exile are not your destination. I think God would also want to say to you and me, in light of our time and his word today, share the hope that you have with someone else. Amen? Anybody needs hope? Hey, do you know what? Sometimes our brothers and sisters need hope, right? Have you ever lost hope as a believer? Have you ever faced situations that were too big for you and you were losing hope? You're ready to throw in the towel, tap out, cash in your chips, walk away and be done, right? If you know someone who's struggling, you come alongside of them, remind them of the hope that they have. Remind them that God does not intend for them to stay where they are. And maybe the hope we share is someone who needs Jesus. There's not a lot of hope in our world right now, is there? There's a lot of people in dark times. And God would love for us to share the hope that we have. To know that in the midst of pain and hurt and sorrow and darkness, there's always hope. Because we serve the one who turns our Mourning into dancing, our shame into glory, our sorrow into rejoicing, and can turn graves into gardens. Amen?
out of Egypt, a voice is heard. He will be called. Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we just humbly come before you and God, you know each of us. And Holy Spirit, you know what each of us need to hear. And God, I believe in the power of your word. And God, I thank you that Matthew recorded these words. And God, that when we really take a deep look at them, we see there's such a powerful message for us. That God, no matter what we face, no matter what comes up against us, that there is hope for our future because a king has come. And God, I pray right now as we worship you, Lord, that you would just renew the hope in us. And God, that you renew the passion in us to share that hope with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.